You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. As you're being seated, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we do have our sermon notes available in the back. We've also got our sermon slides available through our Google Drive folder if you would like to access those either today or at a later time as well. Last few weeks we've been reviewing our vision and goals as a church and trying to make sure that we're all on the same page and clarifying some of those uh, goals and trying to give you some practical ways to even think through how you as a church member help fulfill those goals and some of the things that you do. And so um, two weeks ago we talked about our goals to uh, establish a presence in our community from a, um, a service standpoint, like how can we serve within our community and um, we said that uh, our goal is to establish an active presence in our community by creating intentional ways for our members to serve the less fortunate together, specifically targeting opportunities to care for widows and orphans. And so we said that Scripture uh, is really clear about the less fortunate uh, and, and care for the less fortunate being a, a manifestation of God's heart. He has a great heart for the less fortunate, and it seems to be a benchmark for living out our Christian life when we look at Scripture and we saw specifically widows and orphans having kind of a special uh, place in God's heart and, and how he demonstrates care. And so we want to be faithful to do that as well. And so we're trying to filter some of the things that we do locally through those two perspectives, widows and orphans, and how do we care for both uh, scripturally. And have given you some, some ways to do that right now practically as we come maybe into a more organized effort as a church, inviting you to target uh, people that fit that category of widow in your life, whether that's within our church or outside of our church, being intentional to care for those people, and then praying through possibilities of of serving at the Coweta Center uh, for counseling opportunities. We also talked about our potential efforts as a church to take on the fundraising um, auction piece of of what they do in May. So we're going to talk more about that at the Matt 28 Discipleship Night coming up in September. Um, but then I was also contacted by Cindy at the Coweta Pregnancy Service Center this week, and we're partnering with them at Trinity with the 5K run, and so I'm trying to funnel some of our middle school kids there to help out um, with the race, and, and they get community service hours for doing that, so we've been in contact about that, and so we were going back and forth through email, and then in her last email, she asked if we would have anybody that would consider serving on their board of directors uh, moving forward from our church. And so that could be a really neat opportunity for us as a church to expand upon our efforts in serving there. Um, as far as what does that look like, it'll be tricky for this to be just anybody because of when they meet. So they meet the third Thursday of the month, but they meet from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. at First Baptist Church in Noonan. Some of you, that would work for your schedule. Others of you, that'll never work for your schedule, which is fine because we only need one person who would be willing to do that. But, I mean, that would be a great way for our church to, to really get plugged in with what they're doing um, and to also have some insight maybe and some things that, that God's doing in our hearts over here and, and being able to partner with them in some of the things that God is maybe stirring in us over here too. And so um, want to add that as an additional prayer request for you to consider. Um, if your schedule would potentially allow that, then you kind of fit a very small group of people that could potentially serve in that capacity. But, man, I think that would be a really cool way for us to to partner with them in an even greater way than we already have in the past. And then we talked about the possibilities of foster care. 
Um, and so we're wanting you guys to pray about the possibility of, of being that quick meal placement person, somebody who uh, cooks meals for foster families in the area that get a quick placement kind of last minute and need a meal provided, somebody who can provide short-term babysitting for foster care families in the area, and then somebody who would be willing to go through the entire training, the full eight-week course, in order to provide respite care, that long-term potential week-long care for somebody who's in foster care uh, so that that family could go on vacation where they can't maybe take the foster child with them. <coughs> so those are some things to be pr- praying about from that first week. Two week or Last week we talked about our goal to establish five elders and five deacons that are shepherding the church biblically, leading the church in service faithfully with the intent of sending a portion of that leadership to plant another church at the appropriate time. So we talked last week about why that goal The idea that becoming an elder or deacon is through appointment only with the purpose being to raise up godly examples who can instruct the flock, protect the flock, and maintain unity within the flock. And so there's very biblical reasons for why leadership is necessary within the church. We said that if you you don't have leadership, then you don't have a church, that you have a Bible study. Um, and, and what separates a Bible study from a church, one aspect is the leadership that's provided, the elder leadership, the deacon leadership, um, elders providing the oversight, the shepherding of the church, the deacons providing that, that service and unity uh, towards the, the, the pastoral leadership and then towards the membership as well. And so we want to raise up more leaders with the intent of being able to send out some of that leadership um, as we have opportunity to plant other churches. Um, action items for you as membership. We talked about praying and examining Marcus over the next eight months, that Marcus is moving into that next phase of becoming an elder of our church, and so we want you praying through that and seeking to spend time with him so that you can confidently affirm him in that role moving forward. We also talked about really pursuing qualification yourself, making sure that you're always examining those Uh, qualifications of deacon and elder and pursuing those qualifications in your own life of sanctification, and then praying that God would call more leaders. Um, We talked about the fact that we don't go identify people in our church that we think should be elders. We, We want the Holy Spirit to prompt that, and so we will publicly appeal for for men to consider that, but ultimately we're praying that God would prompt the right men to want to pursue that. All right, that brings us to goal number three today, and we're combining two of our goals because they go so closely together. We want to talk about our goal of growing to 150 and our goal, of, our goal of planting a church locally once we reach that point, okay? So we're going to kind of repackage that, redefine those goals a little bit, make it more something that we can wrap our mind around. We've talked about growing bigger, giving more so that we can go and plant more churches. We just kind of walked through some of the goals that we've been talking about Um, and have had in place now. And so that brings us to our summary sentence for today. Our goal is to grow our membership to no more than 150 through new conversions as much as possible. Okay, so I want us to shift our thinking a little bit, and it's not so much that how do we get to 150, like, you you know, how do we get to that magic number? It's not a magic number, okay? What I want us to instead think about is that as we continue to grow, we have no intentions of going over 150, okay? And we've talked about before, can we actually even fit 150 in this room or not? I don't know, right? Like, I don't know when you consider kids, like it, it, it takes the right ratio of parents to kids to even fit 150 in this building, okay? What I do know is that I have no desire for our church to go beyond 150, 
Okay, so let's shift our thinking. It's not about how do we get to 150. It's as we continue to add people to this, this membership, to this congregation, the goal is not to go above 150. And that's important. It's important as people visit our church and have conversations with you that they kind of understand the long-term plan for our church. Right? Like we're not looking for massive pieces of land. We're not trying to create a massive savings account to build a giant building that will seat 250, 300, 500, 1,000. Right? That's the normal model. So most people that come and visit our church are probably going to think in terms of what's the next stage for you guys? What's the next phase? When do you plan to secure your own land, your own facility? And we've talked as as elders and deacons about potentially getting something bigger than this place. Part of the problem in getting our own place is the the lack of an ability to get a loan from from some of our initial explorations. That the amount of people, like the bank last time we approached them, weren't confident that the amount of people that we have matched the amount of giving that we reported as far as that not being like one giant kind of donor in place here. So it's a testimony to you guys that you even give enough to where we could even consider getting a loan for something of ourselves, Um, but we're still kind of a ways away from a bank even feeling confident that we could do that, okay? That's something that our deacons have looked into, something a little bit bigger than here, something that would potentially even be cheaper monthly uh, versus having to pay rent, rent that continues to go up each year, okay? But our goal is to not go above 150, not to go above 150, all right? Our goal is to strategize a plan and new location to plant a local church by relocating a portion of our membership and leadership when our membership size and leadership ability is appropriate. Now, that may be the case in two years. It may not be the case in two years, okay? What we would like to have in place at the end of the two-year period is a plan for when our membership is right, when our leadership is right, this is what we do next. All right? So we want to grow no more than 150. We want to strategize a plan and location to plant a local church. We want to take a portion of our membership, a portion of our leadership, and be able to do that. Okay? And I don't know exactly how that looks, and that's part of our job as leadership to kind of figure out that piece of it. We're going to talk later, what's your role in helping us accomplish these goals? Okay, um, because I know there's some real obstacles to even being able to do this, right? Like I was, Jesse and I were talking this morning at McDonald's. He comes and prays with me each Sunday, and we were just talking about the challenge of, man, what would it look like for somebody in our church to have to, to leave our church and go sit under a different pastor, right? Like that, that would be hard for some people to, to leave coming here and have to go somewhere else. And so we've talked about, you know, some of those challenges and, and we want to be faithful to continue to talk about the fact that that's where we're going in hopes that it will create a desire in some people to potentially do that, okay? For our kids, our church wants to grow no bigger than 150 with the plan to plant another church rather than build a bigger church, okay? Why? Right? Like, I don't have a great passage of Scripture to go to today to tell you this is why we're doing it this way, okay? But I can give you a reasoning for why this is true for me and the leadership that I'm trying to provide here at our church. The command and pattern for the local church is to grow through the teaching of the gospel, right? Like, I think we would all admit that every church's goal should be to share the gospel to have people get saved and add to the number of the church. That's what you see all through the book of Acts, right? 
Like they're, they're sharing the gospel. The membership is sharing with each other. It draws people to that, that body, draws people to that local fellowship, and it's constantly talking about them adding to their numbers, right? So the command and pattern for the local church is to grow through the teaching of the gospel. And then naturally, as growth occurs, the only possible steps are to either create more space or create more gatherings. So you either keep building or you keep planting. We believe in this area there are sufficient churches seeking to create more space, but very few seeking to create more gatherings. Okay, so just about every church in this area, as they grow, they build a bigger building. Okay, that, that's, that's, a, that's the big pattern for a lot of the churches around here. Now, there's some who are creating additional campuses, right? Like Crossroads Church in Noonan, Sharpsburg area, has a campus on Highway 16. They have a campus on 154, and they have a campus here in Sonoy at the charter school. They merged with Wellspring Church five years ago, maybe, um, and kind of created a Crossroads campus here in Sonoy. So they've got a pastor who preaches. They show his video sermon at the other campuses where he's not teaching live. So they've kind of created a, a church that's growing, and they're not necessarily trying to build a bigger building all in one location. Their churches are still bigger than what we want to be from a local campus standpoint, right? So, I mean, you, you ask somebody where they go to church, and they say Crossroads, you can't typically say, oh, you probably know so-and-so. Like, they, they may or may not, because the campus, the, the size of the service, the multiple services that take place, they may or may not know somebody else that you know that goes to Crossroads. Our desire is to create a, a, a small church environment that is growing but maintains that small church environment, okay? So as you grow, the only two options are to either create more space, create more gatherings. That's true when we even think in terms of small groups, right? Like some of you guys are in small groups right now where you're looking around saying either we got to get a different house, right? Like we got a bigger house or we got to split our group, right? You can't just keep adding to a group and not expand the space or split off into two groups. So that's what we're talking about in terms of our church. We want to grow this thing to the point where we can't fit in a certain location with any more than 150, and it necessitates us splitting into two churches, okay? I think a lot of people in this area, and it's not a right or wrong. It's not that the churches that are creating more space are wrong for doing that. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't know that we need another one of those, right? There are plenty of people who love being a part of big churches. There's a lot of people who want to be a part of small churches where they can be known intimately by everybody in the church. That's kind of our plan, our vision. We want to create that type of environment because we don't know that anybody else is doing that in this area, okay? Um, what are some advantages to doing it this way versus the other way? Well, one, it creates more service opportunities for people to use their gifts, all right, it creates more service opportunities for people to use their gifts. Now, we don't have this right now, but let's say, um, okay, so when I wasn't sure what I was going to do after leading Mount Gilead, I had serious conversations with Ryan, who's come and spoke at our church, about whether or not Lauren and I should go and, and be a part of Ecclesia in Noonan. And, and one of the things that I told him, I says, Ryan, I, I just don't think I can because I have such a desire to teach. 
And I said, what you're describing to me is me teaching maybe once a quarter when you're out of town on vacation. I said, man, I feel like God is, has given me a desire to do this, and that won't satisfy the desire to do it. What I, what I long for is for God to either place somebody in this church or raise somebody up in this church who has a desire to teach as frequently as I do, and by splitting off and starting another church, it would give that person an opportunity to do that, right? So it creates more service opportunities for people to use their gifts, and that's true for all service opportunities within our church. It basically doubles the opportunity for people to do certain things by having two locations to do that in. Number two, it maintains a smaller, intimate setting for fellowship, care, and community. Right? So we don't want to stay small and not add to our group. I mean, we could, we could do that. We could be the most unhospitable, uh, mean-spirited people that loves each other. But when anybody comes in to visit, we're like, nope, let's try to keep them out of here. Right, like we could, we could really try to be small and never invite anybody to join us. But we want to be faithful to what the gospel says, and that's to grow and to teach the gospel, see people saved. But we want to keep that smaller, intimate setting for fellowship, care, and community. And number three, it reduces the financial demand to operate. Right, like the more you have to create bigger buildings, the more financial demand there is and the more pressure there is on leadership to keep that membership as high as possible with the giving as high as possible because you're typically in debt and you have big bills to pay, right? You guys could all walk away and say, we're never coming back here again, and we don't have any debt that we have to worry about right now, which means if half of you show up next week, I don't push the panic button and say, what do we do, right? My my salary's not tied to the giving, the, the ability for this church to go on isn't tied to the giving. As you start to build bigger spaces, it absolutely is, okay? So planting more churches, smaller churches, reduces the financial demand to operate. Some of the advantages of starting churches rather than building bigger churches. All right, let's talk about a couple of keys to our church growing, and then we'll talk about some smaller goals smaller things for you to do immediately to help us push towards this goal. All right, so let's talk about keys to church growth according to what Scripture has to say. Obviously, number one, it starts with sharing Jesus. These notes are the same for our kids. Sharing Jesus is a crucial aspect to us growing as a church. Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, two lengthy passages that we're not going to look at, and we're not going to focus heavily upon this because we have been talking a lot about evangelism and sharing Christ with others through our Matt 28 nights. Okay, so we've talked about different avenues, different ways, different challenges in sharing the gospel. And so we've tried to equip you over the past couple of months in regards to this. So we're not going to spend as much time on this piece as we will the other two. Okay, but sharing Jesus is certainly a key to us growing as a church family. Teaching Jesus to others, it's the only thing that the church was ever told to stop doing in the book of Acts. As the church is being persecuted, as the authorities are coming after the church, what they are consistently told to do is to stop teaching Jesus. They're not told to, told to stop any programs. They're not told to stop any of their charitable givings. They're told to stop teaching Jesus. Okay, so we certainly want to be known for our desire to share Jesus with others, and we must share Jesus intentionally with those around us. And we've talked about not necessarily having a, a joint evangelistic effort as a church in, in a program sense. Like We're not going door-to-door 
uh, in evangelism. We've talked about you finding people in your context to share Jesus with, okay? And so we've talked about these areas before in regards to sharing Jesus, people that you work with, people that you live near, people that that you would classify as extended family, uh, beyond that extended family, people that are close to your family, people that you meet through hobbies that you enjoy, okay? I would venture to say that at least in one category, everybody knows somebody that's either not a believer or you're not sure if they're a believer, Okay? Those are the people that we want to be intentional with our discussions about Jesus. And I'm going to give you even more practically what that needs to look like for you as a church member moving forward in regards to us meeting this goal of sharing Jesus, growing through new conversions. Okay, But keep that in mind. Four areas to share. People you work with, people you live near, people that are in your family, people that you enjoy doing things with. Those are kind of the areas that we've targeted before as people that we want to see come to Jesus, all right? The next two I want to spend a little bit more time on as far as church growth goes, and I want us to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. <laughs> and we'll go into chapter 4. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. You'll remember when we went through uh, this book together, right when we started this church, we talked about Paul and his desire to disciple this church and to see this church grow and thrive. He had not spent as much time with this church as he had wanted to due to persecution. He kind of got ran out of town uh, before he really got to exhaust himself here. And so he's continuing to write letters to them, giving them instructions about how to grow and thrive as a local church. And it says in verse 11 of chapter 3, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Okay, told you, we're going to be out of Revelation, but we're always going to be talking about Jesus coming back. And here's a great example of another passage in the New Testament that talks about the urgency to do something because Jesus is coming back. Right, so Paul says his desire is for that local church to increase and abound in love for each other so that their ways can be established, their hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father when Jesus comes back. He gets off topic for a little bit in chapter 4 and then comes back to this same topic in verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your own hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. All right. Number two in our notes, keys to church growth, sharing Jesus, and then number two, showing love, all right? For our church to grow, we have to be very faithful to share Jesus, especially if we want it to come through new conversions, and we have to be very intentional to show love to those who come to our church and those that are already here in our church. We have to be known for showing love if we're going to continue to grow. I think there's, there's two two things that kill a church very quickly. One, it's a lack of love. And then two, a lack of holiness. 
right? Sin will kill a church and a lack of love will kill a church very quickly because it's, 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 a, it's an attack against the membership. I've, I've seen churches crumble because of, of sin issues within the church, especially sin issues within the leadership of the church. But churches will also split very quickly when there's a perceived lack of love within the church too. And we want to guard against that. All right? So we want to show love. We must show hospitality towards those who visit our church. All right, so we're going to kind of tie love and hospitality together because one of the ways that we show love is through hospitality. Okay, it's through a desire of creating a a generous environment where we're wanting to give and serve other people. We want to invite fellowship with other people. And the part of being the one to show the hospitality is kind of you're the one who's initiating that. You're the one who's kind of creating that opportunity. Okay, we want to show hospitality towards those who visit us. And in order for you to faithfully participate in showing hospitality, you got to be present here on Sundays. Because otherwise, you don't know who's visiting, right? Like, like we're still at a stage sometimes where I'll mention a visitor's name to a church member, and that church member doesn't know who I'm talking about. Like, like we're way too small for that. Like, we're way too small for somebody to visit our church multiple weeks and you not know who I'm talking about. It either means we're not showing hospitality great, and that doesn't mean you inviting them to your house. I mean just showing hospitality here on a Sunday morning where we're talking and interacting with people who visit our church. Or you're not here to know that they're visiting, right? Like you have to be present to show hospitality to visitors. And then you have to be available to do that beyond Sunday gatherings, right? So you have to be very intentional with your schedule, your calendar, your availability throughout the week, throughout the month, if you're gonna show hospitality to others because your schedule will fill itself up even if you don't choose to do it. It just will, right? Rarely do you talk to somebody who said, man, I was at home every night this week and really had nothing to do all week long. Like, like I would love to meet those people because I don't think I, I know any of those people, right? If you're not intentional to show hospitality to others, you'll, you'll never accidentally do it. Like rarely are people just sitting around saying, man, I don't have anything to do this week who should we invite over or who should we hang out with? Like most of the time it's, man, we're, we're so busy, we don't have time to hang out with people. We don't have time to show hospitality. We don't have to do, thing, do things with other people, right? Like you have to be very intentional with your calendar to not only be present here at church, but to also be available throughout the week, throughout the month, if you're going to show hospitality to others. To go along with this, the responsibility of making people feel welcomed and loved can't keep falling upon the elders within our church. And and that's not just unique to this church, but a lot of times the unfair expectation is placed on leadership in any church, that it's the leadership's job to make sure that people feel loved, cared for, and welcomed constantly, and that it's not a church member responsibility. If anybody, if, if, it's, if it's any leadership's responsibility, it should really fall to the deacons of the church and not the elders because that's what deacons were even created for initially in Acts chapter six, right? Like people weren't being taken care of properly and so more leadership was increased to help make sure that that was happening, right? But this is a church member responsibility to show hospitality because here's the thing. When we talk about adding elders and deacons, we add people who show hospitality, right? Like it's people who are already known for it. So it's not, 
hey, we need you to be an elder or deacon, and just so you know, you're going to have to start showing hospitality because that's the expectation around here, that it's, the, that it's the elders or the deacons that do that, right? No, no, it's supposed to come from people who are already doing it, which implies that the expectation is that the average church member is to be pursuing these things, and then out of that pool comes leadership who has already been faithful to show these things. So this is something that, that everybody has to embrace responsibility for. It's not the elder's job to do this. You know, we, Marcus and I were talking the other day, and he was saying, man, if I tried to have everybody over in our church one time to my house, I mean, it would take over six months to even accomplish that, and that's if you got everybody scheduled to work with yours. If I tried to have somebody over to my house once a week and tried to touch base with everybody in our church, it would take almost, almost a full year to do that. Imagine if you were the person invited over to my house in January and you didn't see somebody else's house again until the next January when I got back around to you, right? Like, like it's got to be a joint effort by everybody that says, okay, we have a job to show love to each other, to show hospitality to each other, and not just expect the leadership to do that. Church members would be known for this. We said leadership comes from people who are already known for it. And, and hospitality can look different. And this is where I also want us to be guarded and careful that we don't hold people to expectations that, that we're trying to hold ourselves to. Right? Like, like there's no clear guidelines in Scripture as to what it means to show hospitality. So there, there's a lot of flexibility here as far as what it means. And that's why I even wanted you discussing in your groups this morning, how are you intentionally trying to fulfill the mandate for a Christian to show hospitality? Because it can look different. It can, it can look very different from house to house, from individual to individual. There's no clear expectations in Scripture that it has to look this way, that it has to be this frequent. Even when Paul's talking in here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and 4, he kind, of, he kind of confesses to them, hey, I want you to do this, and I'm also telling you that I already know that you're doing it, right? He says, no one needs to write to you. You yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that's indeed what you are doing. But do this more and more. So, so there's, there's, there's no requirement for you to even have a house to be faithful to show hospitality. There, there's creative ways for you to create and initiate opportunities for fellowship and connection. Whether you have a house or not. You don't have to have a house to show hospitality. So there's a lot of freedom in being able to show and initiate opportunities for fellowship within the church. Within our church, we've tried to make it manageable for you through our C group separations, okay? Our C groups are meant to be a smaller representation of our church in hopes of making it manageable for you to kind of know who you need to target in your hospitality. Now, that doesn't mean don't ever have anybody over from your, to your house outside of your C group. But what it does mean is that Nobody should feel disconnected or unloved because they're at least being reached out to by their C group. We've also tried to spread our leadership out into all of our C groups so that it also helps with maybe an unhealthy expectation that every leader in our church should be loving you, caring for you, and taking care of you. Right? Like, like we've spread our elders out, we've spread our deacons out so that everybody in our church has a leader kind of designated in their group that can hopefully know them and shepherd them and take care of them when oftentimes the others may not be able to, strictly from a time standpoint. 
So I, I want to re-clarify that to you guys so you kind of understand from a leadership standpoint, we intentionally try to focus on people in our C groups first as a way of spreading out the responsibilities to shepherd this church. That's why multiple elders are so important because one, one individual can't do that, right? But even if all three of us were trying to do it for everybody, we can't do that. And so the C groups provide a very natural way for us to spread out the responsibilities for shepherding. Paul tells them here in 1 Thessalonians 3 and 4, do this more and more. He says in, back in chapter 3, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. He says, do this more and more. I want to clarify this too. Because this could become a very unhealthy thing where you feel like, man, I never, I'm never hospitable enough. Right? Like you could easily create this unhealthy expectation where you almost exhaust yourself from a hospitality standpoint to where there's never, you almost feel guilty for not having somebody at your house and just being with your family, right? Like, like everybody's first responsibility is their, their family, right? Every man's responsibility is his wife first. Even as an elder, our first responsibilities are to our families before we can properly take care of this church family. You have to manage your own household well before you can manage the church well. So I don't think when Paul says, do this more and more and abound in this, that he, def- that he necessarily means I don't think he was writing to this church and saying, hey, you guys are doing this great a couple of times a week. I need it to increase to four times a week or five times a week or six times a week. It can also simply mean keep doing what you're doing more and more over and over, right? Like when I'm doing something with Mally, playing with Mally, she'll, she'll, she'll tell me more, like, like do that again. Like she doesn't mean for me to do it in a greater sense. She just wants it repeated. And I think that's what Paul's talking about here too. The idea here of keep doing what you're doing. You're already doing this. Keep doing it more and more in the sense that don't stop doing it, right? Like keep doing it. And so everybody kind of works out like what does hospitality mean for me as an individual or us as a family? How are we faithfully showing love to people within our church? And let's make sure we keep up with that. Let's keep doing that, okay? Don't create an unhealthy expectation where you can't keep up with it. You can't possibly meet that expectation for a long period of time. Figure out what it means to show hospitality in your context and then keep doing it more and more, showing love to each other, increasing and abounding in love is what the passage says. And I, and I want to confess to you too, this is, this, is, this is the best church that I've ever been a part of in showing hospitality. When I was growing up, um, rarely do I remember as the pastor's child, as a pastor's family, being invited into people's houses within our church. I mean, it was just pretty infrequent that we got invited over to people's houses. When, we st- when my dad stopped being a pastor and we went to Woolsey Baptist Church, um, occasionally I think we were at people's houses, but my, my, my mindset and remembrance of being at Woolsey was eating out with people after church. Like, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of memory of us going over and eating at people's houses. When I went off to college, single guy in a church Working as the youth pastor in the church, I have no idea where our pastor lived. I have never, I never stepped foot in his house. Okay, so just think about that for a second. Single guy in Bible school, brought on staff to work as the youth pastor. I couldn't have driven to his house if he'd paid me money. I have, I had no idea where he lived. Never stepped foot in his house. But there was a young family in that church that took me and Rob from Snowbird in because we were both co-youth pastoring. 
He invited us over every Thursday night, and his wife cooked dinner for us every Thursday night, and we would watch a TV show together. We had theological discussions together. He kind of embraced the hospitality piece, and I never, I never resented our pastor. Like, today was the first time I even realized as I was thinking through this, I man, I don't even think I ever went to his house ever. But at the time, I was very satisfied hospitality-wise because this one family in the church took care of us. And the expectation wasn't that every family in the church should have done this. It was, man, one, one family embraced us, kind of took us under their, under their wing and cared for us when we were way far away from our family. We didn't have families of our own, right? When I was serving at Mount Gilead, like it was pretty, I, I, don't, I didn't get invited over to people's houses very often. So I say all that to say, man, I think we are doing a really good job within this church of, of loving each other and, and showing hospitality. But I also think we can go above that. We can abound more in that because I don't know that everybody is doing that. I think we can do it more and more as Paul's talking about. And for those that are doing it, we need you to keep doing it and not stop, okay? Three questions that I want you to kind of ask and evaluate yourself on in regards to hospitality. Question, who have you sought, who have you sought, who have you personally sought, sorry, Who have you personally sought to keep connected to our church through your hospitality? Like hospitality is a way to keep people connected. Is there anybody that comes to your mind and you say, you know what? We can't reach everybody in our church. If we tried to have everybody over in our church, it would take a better part of six months, if not longer. But these are the people that I do try to keep connected to our church through my hospitality. Do you have people that come to your mind? And if not, then Paul is probably saying do it more and more in the sense that you need to increase your hospitality. If you've got people in your mind, Paul's probably saying keep doing it. Okay? Both of us need to abound. One of us needs to do it more. One of us needs to keep doing it. If you can't think of anybody that you've personally sought to keep connected to our church through your hospitality, and I'm not talking to leadership, I'm not talking to married couples. I'm talking about anybody who claims to be a member of this church. You have a responsibility to show hospitality to people in this church, visitors and members, helping keep them connected to our church. Paul says abound in this, do it more and more. Question number two, are you known for your love towards others within our church? Is that a reputation that you are developing based on how you show hospitality? Would people describe you as somebody who keeps people connected to our church, who shows love in our church? First John chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. All right, so part of being a Christian is being known for your love. Are you known for your love within this church? And then question number three, what should you do if you don't feel loved by our church? Even as a church this small, with a church full of people who are trying to love and trying to show hospitality and trying to keep people connected, there's still at times people who are not going to feel that. What should you do if you don't feel loved by our church? Like what's the proper response? If if you're in a situation where you're coming here and you're just like, I don't really feel loved or connected within this church. I feel left out. What should you do? Two things that I would tell you to do 
as your pastor. Number one is to tell somebody. Like that's the worst thing that you could keep secret. It's the worst thing that you could expect other people to pick up on without you vocalizing it, right? Like nobody knows that you're not feeling loved or connected unless you vocalize that to somebody. You have to, vo- you have to voice that. If you're waiting for people to pick up on it, busy schedules will probably keep people from realizing that, okay? Everybody that comes from Adam and Eve, everybody in here, right, is typically prone to think about their own needs more than the needs of others. It's a, it's a daily fight for us to think about the needs of others above our own needs. You help, you help the offspring of Adam and Eve by communicating that you're feeling unloved or left out because as selfish as we are, we probably won't pick up on it often enough, okay? First piece of advice I say is tell somebody. Tell somebody. Number two is to show love to others. To show love to others. Because here's what I realized in kind of looking through the New Testament. So get this. The New Testament only ever speaks of our responsibility to show love to others. It never deals with what to do if you don't feel loved. Think about that. Like, I get to ask you, what, what passage or what book of the Bible would you tell somebody to go to if they're doubting their salvation? Well, you'd say 1 John. Like, 1 John's got all these great tests to determine whether you're a Christian or not. What would you tell somebody if they, if they felt unloved? I don't, I, don't, I don't know where I would go with that. Because I think there's, there's, a, there's a partnership here. If I'm faithful to show love to other people, typically I don't feel unloved. Because typically it's going to create a relationship between people that I'm showing love to that kind of brings it back to me. Right, like there's nothing in scripture that says, what do you do when your wife, when you don't feel like your wife loves you very well? Right, like instead the passage says that, that we're to love, love our wives as Christ loved the church. Anytime that I have felt underappreciated or unloved by Lauren, and I know she's had plenty of times where she's felt that from me, typically the way that we get back on track, at least for me, is, is, is I start showing love and appreciation for her. And it just seems to work itself out where all of a sudden I'm starting to feel loved and appreciated by her. This is, this is absolutely true for me right now in regards to football and coaching football. Because I shared with you guys last year was kind of a tumultuous time in my life for me. And I shared even more honestly with my, with my accountability group that I felt completely underappreciated and undervalued, and unloved, and um, just felt like all of my effort, well, there, was no, there was no gratefulness from my head coach or assistant coaches from, from all the effort that I put into it. And I got very sulky and kind of uh, bitter towards them as to, man, how about a thank you? You know, like, like how about a, I appreciate you? And I made a commitment this year that I was going to be the most affirming and encouraging assistant coach to everybody else on the team. So I've been very intentional to encourage my head coach, to encourage the other assistant coaches. And let me just tell you, I do, I hardly do anything coaching football, if we're honest, okay? Like, like I show up at practice. I have no responsibilities for game planning. I, I watch film because I like it, but I don't have to. Like, there's, there's very little that I have to do. I can tell you, I feel more affirmed and appreciated this year already than I ever did last year. It just seems to be a natural response when you show affirmation and you show love and you show encouragement 
that it typically comes right back to you in the same form. My head coach has been far more affirming to me this year, far more appreciative, reaching out to me and telling me how thankful he is for me, how grateful he is to me. And I'm over here going, bro, I ain't doing a whole lot. Like, like this ain't the year to be grateful for me. It was last year, you know? But man, like all it took was me taking some steps to say, you know what, I'm gonna love you guys and I'm gonna affirm you guys and I'm gonna encourage you guys and I'm gonna highlight the great work that you're doing. And it seems to be just a natural partnership where that's coming back to me. I wanna read this article, Tyson sent it to me. And I think it goes really well with, with what I'm talking about. It says, it's called How to Be the Friend You've Always Wanted. And I posted it on, on the city so you can read it yourself too, but I don't trust everybody to read it. So I decided to just read it to you in case you don't have time to read it, okay? It says, we know in theory that God created friendship as one of life's greatest gifts, but we often find making and deepening friendships complicated and complex. Some of our greatest pains involve wounds from others or the pain of wondering if we have any friends at all. How do we begin unwrapping the gift of friendship? In my early 30s, I finally discovered what lay at the core of my friendship pains and pangs. I harbored what Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together uh, calls a wish dream, an ideal, a picture of community, a perfect and unattainable one. Because I held my wish dream as a standard over the heads of women in my life, I was consistently disappointed and even embittered with reality. My focus was on myself and what others were doing for me. I then began to consider how Jesus models a different focus altogether. He intentionally set his sights on others and how he could serve them. In imitation of Christ, then, we are to be the friend we've always wanted. But how can we, in our pursuit of friendship, shift our focus towards Christ's example? Here are five practical ways. Number one, release others from your expectations. So many of our disappointments with others are birthed out of unrealistic, if not idolatrous, expectations that people will love us as only God can. Our value and significance must come only from him. When we demand that others be all present, all comforting, all providing, or all knowing, we set them up as our Christ and we set our friendships up for failure. Instead of hewing out broken cisterns for ourselves that can't hold water, we must find our heart's contentment in the Lord, our only perfect friend. Only then can we relate to others without destructive expectations. And releasing others from being our Christ actually positions us to receive friendship as a gift from God as he chooses to give it through imperfect, in-process people. Number two, be a friend as unto the Lord. According to my wish dream, I love and serve others with the hope I will get something in return. But Jesus said we're his friends if we lay our lives down, looking to serve rather than to be served. In other words, we're to be a friend towards others without expectation of return. We're to do it as an act of worship before the one who has so loved us. Being a committed, self-giving person isn't a friendship guarantee, but it is an invitation. It certainly honors the Lord. Number three, pursue beyond what you can see. Although it seems obvious, an oversimplification of what friendship requires, moving toward others is perhaps the most overlooked opportunity for friendship. Engaging others begins with believing that all people, regardless of age, life stage, skin color, marital status, or life experience, are made in the image of God and therefore are exceedingly interesting. Engaging others is primarily about discovering who they are beyond what we can see. We must be good question askers and even better listeners, not as busybodies, but as people seeking to honor and value others. Number four, mourn and celebrate. One of the most comforting truths about God is his willingness to enter our pain. As the psalmist declares, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. God is a friend who isn't afraid of darkness, depression, sickness, or difficulty. We too must be friends willing to enter the pain of others, not with pithy cliches, but with presence, compassion, and a willingness to bear their burdens. 
At the same time, let's be people who celebrate. Our God delights in us, so let's delight in one another. When a friend wins the day, when her prayer is answered, when a milestone is reached, or when we see God grant her favor, let's name it out loud, for perhaps our friends can't see it themselves. Throw a party and brag on our friends. Whether mourning with those who mourn or rejoicing with those who rejoice, let's do it extravagantly, just as our God extravagantly loves us. Number five, persevere. Finally, we must persevere. Friendship is born over time, not over one coffee date. It's born through shared adversity, not just fun game nights. Friendship is deepened through forgiveness and asking for forgiveness, through overlooking offenses and addressing those that need to be addressed, and above all, through consistent vulnerability. Let's not easily give up on one another, for Christ will never give up on us. The friendship Jesus modeled involves risk. Setting self aside and engaging others in risky, is risky. Entering another's difficulty is risky, but I've discovered a rich secret. On the other side of risk is the place where we get to unwrap the gift of friendship as God gives it. That's a good reminder that part of the step in developing, deepening friendships and, and being loved is to be that type of person towards others, to really branch out and, and to be intentional with the commands of Scripture, to love others, to pursue others, to show hospitality to others. And again, the motivation isn't so that you'll have friends, so that you'll feel loved. I'm just telling you that's a natural byproduct of it. It seems to be in most cases where I'm seeking to be that type of person, oftentimes part of the fruit is experiencing exactly what it is that I long for. But if we're all sitting around with empty cups saying, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up, and nobody stands up and starts serving the water, then we all just sit around thirsty. We just all sit around angry, right? We have to be intentional to serve each other. And oftentimes it means that our needs end up getting met in the process as well. All right, number three in our notes. So we've got sharing Jesus, showing love, living holy. It's church killer number two. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. We must create accountability with each other to maintain purity within our church. Paul reminds us that holiness is God's planned purpose for us. We see that in Ephesians 1.4 and Colossians 1.22 as well. And he's coming to judge those who are unholy. So we've got purpose and punishment as kind of our motivators here for pursuing holiness. And that, that, that's where we've even tried to break it down even further. So we've got large group, Sovereign Hope Church. Then we've got C groups to make sure that people are being cared for. And then even smaller than that, gender specific, we want people being loved and cared for within our accountability groups. But this too is where you have to be doing your part to receive what it is you actually long for in your accountability group, right? I don't, I don't know for sure, but I know I've had enough conversations with people within our church about their accountability groups to know that at times we have people who don't always feel loved and don't always feel cared for in their accountability group. I also know enough to know in talking with people within our church that there's a lot of people who are very good at presenting their needs and 
their struggles and their prayer requests, but don't do a whole lot more than that. Like, aren't being the one who is the encourager and the one who's seeking to pray for. Like, we probably, a lot of you I know have text streams with your accountability group. And I know that there's a lot of people who have people in your group and all they do is post their prayer requests and post their struggles and post their needs and aren't very quick to respond to others when they're sharing theirs. Like, that, like, like that's the example of here's my cup, I need help, but I'm not willing to get up and, and, and pour into your cup. Like just, just help me, but I'm not sure I'm gonna help anybody else. Man, we need to be faithful to do our part in our accountability groups to love and care for each other to do our part in the accountability group and not just expect the accountability group to do its part towards us. We want to create, we have to create an environment of holiness, Paul says, for our church to grow. Here's some things that we are currently trying to do as elders before I give you some things that you can be working on towards these goals of growing our church to 150, no more than 150, and then us looking to plant other churches. We're examining our current C groups to determine, plan, deter, determine a plan to increase the amount of groups we have in Sonoy. All right, we want to make sure that there are sufficient groups here that people can come and be a part of here, and our Sonoy groups are starting to get maxed out. So we either have to split some of our Sonoy groups or we have to create new groups in Sonoy in order to manage the amount of visitors that we may have coming to visit our church that would like to have a church here in Sonoy. It doesn't make any sense for somebody to live in Sonoy, visit our church in Sonoy, and then have to drive somewhere else to a small group. All right, so we're examining our current C groups to determine a plan to increase the amount of groups that we can offer here in Sonoy. Number two, we want to clarify the roles of the elder and the C group leaders through clear role descriptions. So we want to set forth, especially as we start to add new C group leaders, what's the C group leader's job? Is it just to, just to host uh, a monthly meeting at their house and to lead discussion, or is there further responsibility? So we need to kind of work that out. What's the elder's job as the shepherd? What's the C group leader's job in connecting and loving on that group? So we want to have clear descriptions so that when somebody becomes a new C group leader, we're able to clarify and clearly communicate those expectations. Number three, um, we're working on developing ways to train and equip new C group leaders to take over new groups. So we've already approached some people in our church and targeted them as the next C group leaders in our church. Because again, we can't, we can't build bigger houses where we're currently meeting, so we've got to create more groups. You can either build bigger or plant more, and so we're wanting to create more gathering opportunities. And so to have more gathering opportunities, we need more leaders. So we're gonna be working on ways to train and equip those new C group leaders to take over new groups. Number four, um, we're evaluating and we will be evaluating ways to connect visitors with our church in a more strategic way. Um, instead of just kind of, and, and ever since we've started, we've just kind of left it as kind of a, an organic, fluid thing where we'll, we'll, we'll just assume that visitors are feeling connected and welcomed and, and a part of our church and we'll just expect them to figure out how to get involved in a C group. And we want to be more strategic in making sure that we have things in place to connect people visiting with our church to our church. We want to be more strategic in that. Here's how you get involved. And, and, and this isn't like we're done talking about this today kind of thing. Like we're continuing to meet as leadership. We're going to continue to give you smaller steps for you to do 
to push us towards these goals, but here's some immediate things that you can be doing in response to today's sermon. Number one, share Jesus with those around you, but specifically have one, and I'm just asking for a spiritual conversation with someone that is not a believer this week. I mean, if everybody did that, I'm, I'm pretty confident we'd have at least one positive story to come out of that. Not, not somebody getting saved necessarily, but just a positive, hey, I'm going to have a second spiritual conversation with this person that went so good, right? A lot of us aren't having spiritual conversations with any unbelievers in our life. So let's make a small goal of let's have one spiritual conversation with somebody that is not a believer this week. That's everybody's goal. That's everybody's application for today, okay? Application number two, show hospitality towards those in our church. Over the next two weeks, I'm asking that everybody have at least one individual or family to your house that you've never had there before. Can be in your C group, outside of your C group, I don't care. Target somebody. Let's, let's all think of somebody that we haven't had. And nobody feel like, eh, they're only doing this because Adam asked them to. Because you should be doing it too, right? So anybody that gets invited to somebody's house, don't feel like, man, the only reason this happened is because Adam said it, right? Because like, you're going to have to do the same thing. You have to admit there's somebody in, in our church that you haven't had to your house too. So everybody's on the same page here. We're all going to be intentional over the next two weeks. Have somebody to your house that you've never had to your house before. You get two weeks to do that, all right? Number three, participate actively in your accountability group by meeting with one person outside of your accountability group between the next two meetings. That, that was part of what the intent was with our accountability groups only meeting once a month, is that the whole group would meet once a month, and then outside of that formal meeting time, we would try to connect with each other on a one-on-one basis throughout the month as well. And we've probably gotten away from that. I know some people do that, but probably not everybody's doing that. So be intentional, because I don't know when, you're, when, you're, when your group meets again, but when it meets again, the clock starts before you meet again the next time for you to be intentional to meet up with somebody in your group outside of that time. Go get coffee, go have lunch together, go to a movie together, do something outside of that formal accountability time with somebody in your group. These are real practical ways to show hospitality and love to each other by simply scheduling time to connect with each other. All right? Number four, be flexible as we seek to create more C-group opportunities because that may mean some people separating and splitting off and starting new groups. And that's a, that's a preparation for a group of people leaving this campus to go to another church one day, right? Because, man, I hope we're, we're, I hope we're, we're at least near 150 by the time Jesus comes back, right? Like I, like, I hope we are teaching Jesus and sharing the gospel and welcoming visitors who are already believers I hope we're doing a good enough job of that to where we get close to 150 before Jesus comes back and it necessitates us starting another church. But for us to be able to do that, when that time comes, we gotta have people that are flexible and you can start by showing flexibility with your C groups. Number five, pray for a teaching elder for when the time comes as well. This is, this is when we can't manufacture this, all we can do is pray for it, okay? So we pray for somebody who feels called to this then we get serious about training them, and we've got some things in place through our elder training process that would help equip somebody for that. But we got to pray that God would raise up one, if not more than one, person that 
is gifted in teaching and desires to teach regularly that would be a healthy part of a transition to start another church, right? I want to pray intentionally for that. So you've got some things to immediately do. Everybody in this room, whether you have a house, don't have a house, whether you're married or not married, if you're a member of this church, have a spiritual conversation with somebody that's not a believer this week, have an individual or family to your house that you've never had there before in the next two weeks, and then meet with one person outside of your accountability group between your next two meetings. It's a great way to check up on everybody. Anybody not feeling loved, when it, what are we going to do first? We're going to tell somebody, right? And we're going to tell somebody when we meet either in our accountability group or when we meet one-on-one with somebody outside of that accountability group time. And then what are we going to do? We're going to show love to people by having somebody over or creating some type of, maybe you don't have a house, so you're going to call somebody up and say, hey, let's go to dinner. Let's, let's go to lunch. Let's do something. It's not somebody in your accountability group, somebody you haven't done that with over the next two weeks. Man, bring them along when you have that conversation with an unbeliever if you need to, right? Like, like this, these are practical ways for you to do this over the next three weeks or, or next month. Encourage you to do these things. These are how you get involved in kind of pushing us towards those goals. All right, let's pray together. Oh, family worship questions. Why is it important to show hospitality to a Christian? And this is where we get our kids involved. How can each of our family members show hospitality the next time we have someone over? Right? Like, like, get your kids involved in this. Like, this is where you sit down with your kids and say, you know what's very hospitable is our people, when people come over, they have a place to sit in our house. And so we're going to put up our toys in the living room so that people can sit in our living room. Right? Like, have healthy conversation with your kids about how they can help show hospitality to whoever you may have over to the house. All right? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the instructions that Paul gives to us in Thessalonians. God, I, I pray that we would hear the call for us to show love, to abound in our showing of love, to keep showing it more and more, whether that means that we need to start doing it more or whether that just simply means we need to keep doing it over and over to not stop doing it. God, I desire for this, this, this church, as small as it is, to certainly be a place where people feel loved and connected. God, I pray for anyone in our church who doesn't feel that, that they would would humbly seek to tell somebody that and not just keep it privately, that they, they, they would voice that. It can't be fixed if we don't know it. So God, I pray that you would allow us to be a place where that, that's, that's an open invitation and it's something that, that it's safe and, and available to do. God, I also pray that we would all be faithful to do our part to show love and hospitality to others because, God, it just seems like the way you've designed it that oftentimes the fruit of us stepping out and doing that is that we receive some of those very things that we long for. God, protect any of us from having such high lofty expectations for leaders or members in this church that those people would love us the way only Christ can. God, protect us from that. Help us to have healthy expectations that that we're a part of a church that's full of sinners that are saved by your blood and saved by your grace and are certainly a work in progress. But we're thankful that we're a work in progress that you don't give up on, that when you start the work, you finish the work. But God, help us to have healthy expectations towards each other. Help us to do our part in welcoming people that you bring to our church. Help us to do our part in loving people that have stayed at our church. 
God, help that, that friendship, that love to, to create deep accountability groups where we can strive to live holy lives. Because we know for this church to grow, it's, it's got to grow not just numerically, it's got to grow in, in spiritual depth, and it's got to grow in holiness because that's your planned purpose for us, that we were saved for good works. So God, keep us pursuing holiness as we seek to love each other. Give us wisdom over the next couple of weeks to, to, to apply the things that we've talked about, to be intentional, to have spiritual conversations with unbelievers in our life, to be hospitable towards those that we've never had an opportunity to do that with, and to be intentional to, to love and hang out with our accountability group, to show love to them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.